Hello, my name is Gilworth, and I'm the owner of the OAM Podcast Network here in Memphis, Tennessee. OAM operates in the back of a retail shop called Exora that I own with my wife. Exora is a shop for local makers to present and sell their crafts. We opened Exora in February and unfortunately had to close due to COVID-19 in March. Everyone has been affected by COVID-19, and the future is definitely uncertain. If you would like to help support the OAM Podcast Network during these uncertain times, we're accepting donations. You can donate on our Venmo, P-O-D-M-E-M, our Cash App, P-O-D-M-E-M, and our PayPal, info at theoamnetwork.com. If you have an idea for a podcast, we're still taking podcast pitches and can even work with you to create your own home studio so you can record in the comfort of your house, send us audio, and we'll mix, edit, and release your podcast on all the major podcast platforms. If you have a service or product you need to get the word out on, hit us up to learn more about our discounted advertising rates. You can also go to ixoraixoramemphis.com where we're selling masks. If you buy a mask from Ixora, we will donate one to Labonner. You can also shop online from all of the vendors here at Exora. Thank you so much, and please enjoy this podcast. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. What makes us take up causes others think are impossible? What draws others to the cause, bonds us together, and gives us an inexhaustible energy and an unwavering belief that we'll succeed? I'll draw on my own experiences and talk to fellow champions about the successes, setbacks, and team dynamics that move causes forward. I'm Marvin Stockwell, and welcome to Champions of the Lost Causes podcast. On today's show... Roy Barnes, president of the Coliseum Coalition, the grassroots nonprofit working with the city of Memphis to reopen the classic midsize facility. We'll talk to Roy about his participation in the group's five years on the scene. Roy was integral in organizing the first Roundhouse Revival in 2015, subsequent revivals, and other events, and developed the group's business plan and other research that has helped move public opinion demonstrably toward reopening the Coliseum. All that and more coming up on Champions of the Lost Causes. Roy Barnes, thanks for joining me on Champions of the Lost Causes podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much, Marvin, for having me. Yeah. So we work on the same cause, the the cause of uh, reopening the Mid-South Coliseum. And uh, I've... uh, I was wondering if we could kind of maybe start and set the context a bit and talk about maybe your impressions of the Coliseum in the past, how you became kind of uh, convinced that, oh, gosh, you know, that's a that's that's really a building worth saving. And then uh, how you got kind of folded into that early Coliseum coalition uh, mix and how we started working together. Yeah, um, so I'm kind of a little of an outlier with the Coliseum, a lot of Coliseum folk, because. Um, 10 or so years ago, maybe a little longer, I was not, you know, let's tear it down kind of guy, but I thought if we replaced it with something well, good, mm-hmm. that boy, that would be okay. You know, uh, maybe sort of like what we saw with the infill after, uh, the I 40 stuff near the Overton park, you know, very quality stuff. And I thought, well, maybe if we did that, you know, it'd be fine. You know, we've got a new arena and all that. I, even though weirdly I, I graduated, from the Coliseum from, uh, at that time, Memphis State. Yeah, a lot of people and, did. Yeah, and uh, I, I saw Andy Kaufman regi- uh, uh, wrestle Jerry Lawler Wow, there. So, I mean, I have, you know, certified memories, you yeah. know, uh, important memories. Um, so, but, so even beyond that, I still had that kind of feeling that, yeah, you know, maybe. And so I was, you know, and I think a lot of that was because I grew up with the Coliseum. It was normal. It was like, sort of, you know, it's like, your, your own home, you know, childhood home is like, you know, what, there's nothing special about this place. The first time I really kind of shifted in that was, um, it was after they built Tiger Lane, which, so that was about eight, nine years ago or longer. And they built Tiger Lane and my son and I took a, a bike ride up to Tiger Lane, went up to the fountain 
And we were sitting at the fountain and I just turned over and looked in and said, wow, that is a beautiful building. Yeah. I've, in a way, I've never really thought of it being a beautiful building. It was like mm-hmm. Tiger Lane really brought it out. And I said, wow, that's, that's a you know, really nice place. And so that was kind of like the first kind of thing where I said beautiful because I'm, you know, I love, I love, you know, a built environment. I think it's very important for Memphis to not just, you know, it's got to have, it's got to be a beautiful place as, as much as we can, uh, as well as a, a, you know, a just place. So anyway, so I, that was kind of the beginning. And then via friends, I was brought in via uh, the founder of the Coliseum Coalition. Actually, before the Coliseum Coalition is just someone who was interested in saving mm. the Mid-South Coliseum at the time that it was a dire threat of uh, being demolished. So uh, Mike McCarthy brought me in and I was like, you know, kind of like, how do we how do we do this? And so um, I was still. I was. I've never been a nostalgia guy, if you will. I'm still not a nostalgia right. guy, um, but I, you know, again, the beauty of it really brought me in. And then, of course, you know, we don't want to just tear stuff down. I mean, no matter you know what it is, just because we don't, you know, it, we don't like it or whatever. You know, to me, there's got to be a plan moving forward. And I thought that, that was somewhat underthought even yeah. even in 2015 when they started doing you know tearing it down for these sports complex there was a lot of like well we don't know what we're going to do but let's do it you know so right <laughs> um so i got involved and then the coliseum coalition came to be and uh and very early on and you'll know this is that we decided that what we have to do is we have to put on an event at the coliseum and yeah. so uh, that was the genesis of what we called a Roundhouse Revival or the Roundhouse Revival One. And so that really is where I really got into it. And yeah. um, I, you know, was part of and I to me was incredibly important because not only it had to be fun and all this, it had to be a competent event. It had to be an event that came off. Uh, you know, we were representing the Coliseum if it came off as, uh, as uh, bad or, you know, un, you know, uh, disorganized or right. anything like that, or if there was any bad will from, it was going to, you know, forget us. It was going to be the Coliseum that took the heat. Yeah. And it was a bad time for the Coliseum to take heat. So I got involved with that. And then, uh, we put on roundhouse one, we, uh, put on, well, first of all, we raised money through IOB, which is a great, uh, nonprofit kind of crowd, uh, funding platform, which has been huge uh, fans of the Coliseum. They're yeah. uh, based in New York, but those folks have come down to Memphis many times and they love the Coliseum. And they have an office in Memphis, right. a real strong presence in Memphis. Yeah. Right. They've, uh, they, they see it as uh, the, the Coliseum movement is similar to the high, uh, of course now it's I called the high line, right? The high line. In New York. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, you know, even though I can't remember anyway, they see it as similar in that. And, yeah. uh, and I think it's a very good comp, uh, comparison because, you know, one is an outdoor civic space and the other is an indoor civic space, both at this point beloved. Yeah. So anyway, we, we raised money through IOB and other sources actually got a grant from the city and put on roundhouse one. And by yeah. all, you know, uh, m- most uh, reviews were excellent on it and just a lot of fun. And we weren't able to get in the building. That was our hope. But we were able to put it on out on the outside. And that was interesting because um, I, you know, the, most people's experience of the Coliseum is um, inside. Sure. But putting on this event was outside. I think it's really important because, first of all, as I said, it's a beautiful building. And for the, you know, for the next few years until we really put it over the top, it's going to be, that's going to be most people's experience of the building. And so experiencing it outside is very important. So from there, you know, I became a board member of the Coliseum Coalition and uh, then the treasurer. And then uh, finally I'm president right now. I've been the president for about two or three years. And so we just keep on moving forward on this and we've done more roundhouse revivals uh, we've been doing VIP tours for investors, influencers, and possible users of the building. And uh, I think what we're seeing, you know, early on we started seeing the whole tear it down narrative shift. But now what we've seen is the shift towards reopen it and right. whatever form that takes. And so uh, yeah. so that's what really kind of how we got here. Sure. 2015 was really the, the, the year where – opinion about the viability of the Coliseum really shifted in favor of reopening. Uh, I, I think it was a matter of like early on when we'd say, hey, yeah, you know, trying to 
save and reopen the Mid-South Coliseum, you know, you'd have people who'd kind of look both ways and say, you know, I like the Coliseum, you know, and they, it was almost like, am I saying something that's edgy here and out of place? And it was a kind of countercultural notion at the time because the narrative about the building had been uh, so negative. Now, you know, that's been proven uh, to be all the negatives about the building just, <clears throat> just weren't true. Most of them were, were, were not true. It's still a lot of work to be done. But uh, I, I think now flash forward, uh, our, our experience has been that when we tell people that we're working to reopen the Coliseum, they jump right to, yeah, when is that going to reopen? And, and that's a, that's a sea change. And, and for, for us, I know the the first person, the first time somebody came at me with that, it was a little jarring, uh, but it was a clear sign that we've, that we've kind of like moved the needle. Um, it's funny, flashing back to uh, Roundhouse Revival uh, 1 in May of 2015, my recollection of, of uh, <clears throat> as you were lovingly called back then, uh, Roundhouse Roy is your nickname, because in my uh, remembering of things, you know, you really came in and gave, uh, uh, you were good at, cert- at uh, well, a lot of things, but structurally, you set us on a better path uh, in terms of board structure. That was something that I thought to myself, ah, I don't know how to go figure that out. But you, you came up with a plan. Uh, and I think uh, one of the reasons uh, that, that Roundhouse Revival won came off so well is because uh, we had a great Yes, we had a board, but but that fleshed out into a, a much larger event team. Uh, and and I remember that day, and would love to kind of get your recollections of your impressions. But, you know, and just for those listening who may not be familiar, uh, <clears throat> it was a day-long event with music, wrestling, and basketball, the three core brands that made the Coliseum famous. And I thought we'd be lucky to get 1,000 people, 1,500. I didn't know what my the gauge was, but I thought that'd be great. Um, but then 4,500 people showed up, and it was like, wow, people really want to be around this building. Were you surprised that day? Um, I was I, I was surprised, yeah, absolutely. It was, I, you know, probably not so much even by the crowd size, but just the joy that we saw that day was, was yeah. just incredible. <laughs> it was just, you know, and things that would pop up like – some young men who were playing drums that I don't even I don't even think they were part of the official event. They just came in and started playing yeah, drums. And, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was a, just a lot of joy out there, and I think that's such a huge part of you know the uh, you know port you know part of the brand of the Coliseum mm-hmm. is joy. You know, it's like you know those those specific kind of activities, but the thing yeah. that kind of ties them together is joy, civic joy. So that was part of it. The other part of it is uh, you know that. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I know it sounds kind of like a boring thing, but a, a competent event. I was very proud that we put on this event that I think, you know, was equal to the or, you know, somewhat equal to the the robust structure that we were in front of, you know, in terms of, you know, that we, we you know, we did it. We we did it well. We did yeah. it. We did it honor by doing it, putting it on well. So just to set the scene, it was it was two wrestling rings side by side and we would have bands play in the wrestling rings and then we would mix in wrestling throughout the day and we also had like three on three basketball uh tournaments right. going on we, we recognized some former tiger basketball players we had a marching band we had a gospel choir <clears throat> also making manner of a, right. of a musical right out on right in the middle of early maxwell with that beautiful curve in front of uh the main yeah. the old main or i don't say the old it's the main entrance of the coliseum yeah and so it was right there and you know the best place it was a great place for you know you know photo opportunities it was a great place for people yeah. to get close the interesting thing about it is that we were able to use part of the structure is the coliseum has this wonderful kind of what I call porch in the front yeah. that was part of the original design of it a kind of mid-century modern design right and it provides shade. If it rained, we could have moved under there because it's actually somewhat. I mean, in fact, I would say it is a water. Uh, there's no, you know, uh, rain probably wouldn't yeah. have gotten through. So we were able to use part of the uh, Coliseum, even though we weren't able to get officially, quote unquote, inside. Yeah. So it was just a, a wonderful day. And uh, so, you know, just feeling that wonderful high we had after that, uh, you know, completely. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, substance free high we got from yeah, uh, that, yeah. that wonderful day it was a it was a fun day and it was almost like there was this moment to like everything went off kind of not without a hitch we were always hustling in the background but the day went off great we had this huge crowd there was all this joy there and there was this moment 
where um, uh, um, Lawler and Dundee are wrestling the Coliseum Crushers and everybody's gathered around the ring. And Mike McCarthy came up and was standing next to me. And, and I've got my hand above my head filming it with my phone. But I just turned to Mike and I said, is this really happening? Because it just seemed absolutely uh, ridiculously uh, like an authentic Memphis moment that like it felt like this could only something this crazy, weird and joyful and unitive and diverse could only happen in, in Memphis. And it's right. just like it seemed crazy that those two guys, those the probably the most famous two guys out of Memphis wrestling's past reformed their tag team and 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 wrestled for free by the way right and uh, took on the uh, coliseum crushers which is yeah. kind of my favorite kind of part of my fa- actually maybe my one of my favorite pieces of the creative side of it was that we uh that a group came together uh called the coliseum crushers whose intent was not just to destroy the coliseum but they were after they destroyed the coliseum they were going to bulldoze the rest of memphis into the mississippi and lawler and dundee were able to stop them and you know of course sure. tell Memphis narratives through wrestling, I think, is a very kind of Memphis thing. So I think it's a, it's always a, it was a wonderful moment. I'm very proud, and you know, so we, the Coliseum Crushers have come back and they've tried to do the same thing again. But that we, so so you they've know, been we, routed every time. Yeah, they've been routed every time. I mean, they're so, scoundrels, and you know, the, the strap's right. going to come down. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the, at the end with uh, as Lawler, Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee. Um, uh, uh, Derek King yeah. and Charlotte Fargo all in the ring. Yeah, Charlotte Fargo yeah. is the daughter and a big supporter of the Coliseum, the daughter of Jackie um, Fargo. Jackie Fargo. Yeah. And they all did the Fargo strut, which was gives you chills, you know, because the Fargo strut is something we were three years, you know, three years. Yeah. We were third grade. <laughs> we are in third grade and, you know, doing, you know, doing the the coolest kid was the kid who could do the Fargo strut. Yeah. So, you that know. That was a unique moment. Yeah, it was a great moment. And uh, after the rep- uh, repulsion of a rep- of um, the uh, Coliseum Crusher. So, it, a wonderful day. Yeah. So, you know, interesting, just flashing forward, even it's really only at Roundhouse Revival 1 was May of 2015. By that summer, maybe June, uh, the ULI panel uh, had come to Memphis and <clears throat> uh, the Urban Land Institute um, came. Uh, bunch of ex-mayors uh, converged on Memphis and did their own research. They rolled up uh, research done by the National Charette Institute, and they came up with a set of recommendations. And there was a uh, there was a, a day at the Peabody uh, where they presented their findings. And I remember that day thinking, I wonder what chance we have that this panel, uh, this ULI panel, will side with us and agree that the Coliseum should be uh, preserved uh, when. Uh, the people at the city had been shepherding every part of the process with them. But of course, I was really pleased uh, that that, that, that that panel did indeed say, actually, don't bulldoze the Coliseum. In fact, save it, feature it, because it's a sister building with the, with the, with the, uh, with the Liberty Bowl, et cetera. Uh, and I remember that being taken as a, as, a, as, as, a, as a package. Roundhouse Revival won. And then the ULI panel saying the Coliseum's worth saving was a one-two punch that really gave our cause a legitimacy that it had not enjoyed uh, before that. Because before that, we'd been kind of painted with the broad brush of of being nostalgists, which I think we have now proven to be completely false. But – but but it, my recollection, I would love to get your thoughts on it, of 2015, those were two pivotal events where people thought, hey, this this might be a mass movement. This They might be, they might have a point. Right, yeah. So uh, I think Roundhouse was, you know, my estimation of just almost 100% of a success. I mean, what we were trying to do. Now, there was a little bit of backlash as in what I'll call, and it was has come from multiple sources, although – uh, that you can't just put on a party. That was kind of a thing. Well, you know, whatever. But you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's a place of joy. Like I said, you've got yeah. to re- you've got to represent the place of joy. Yeah, you know, and we did that. Uh, but uh, the ULI was a little bit more of a mixed bag. But I'll still say yes, absolutely a a net po- a big net positive because it was the first time the Coliseum was a kind of officially, if you will, mentioned as is part of the future. Mm-hmm. You know, now it was a recommendation. It wasn't like we're going to do it, but yeah. you know, it's, it's like. We, the city brought in some folks to kind of what should we do, and they their recommendation is keep it. Now, yeah. r- reason why it's a little bit of a mixed bag 
is because part of the stuff was that some it was like you know part of it was like the idea of cutting it in half or stuff like that or making it into an amphitheater and a lot yeah. of folks didn't like that you know sure and um but you know we're we're always looking for that step forward the coliseum coalition is always looking for that step forward and that was a step forward and was now yeah. it was you know, if they had the money right then and there to cut it in half, you know, that's a whole different thing. But we're like, okay, this is a beginning. This isn't the end. And yeah. so it was, you know, we're just saying the Coliseum is there. You yeah. Know, and that was huge. Now, in 2016, uh, my friend John Minervini and I kind of peeled away and and did uh, – uh, stood up another group called Friends of the Fairgrounds. At first, it was a subcommittee of the Coliseum Coalition, but ultimately John and I and our other core planners uh, uh, took it in, and created its own 501c3. And we focused during 2016 and a piece of 2017 on – uh, asking stakeholders who worked on or adjacent to the fairgrounds and and or lived in the neighborhoods what they wanted to see the broader fairgrounds to become. Now, uh, that's become part of our kind of like stack of of work that we put forward uh, that I still think is informing the even broader process of the, of the entire fairgrounds redevelopment. Um, but while I kind of stepped away to focus on that, uh, stepped down off the board, stepped away from being spokesman for the Coliseum Coalition, although, you know, we kept it's important to note, we, we kept in touch throughout. Uh, but but I was really focused on that work. But 2016 was a really important year for the Coliseum Coalition as well. And I, I'd like to for you, maybe you could talk a little bit about how important it was. Uh, that it, it was dawning on us even early on that we needed to get someone in the building to do a fresh assessment of the building. And in 2016 is when uh, Chooch Pickard and his and his team got into the Coliseum. Could you talk a bit about how that process unfolded and, and, uh, and what they found? Yeah, so um, after two, we did another roundhouse in September, I believe, yeah. uh, right before the municipal elections of 2015, uh, September 2015, and then going into 2016 with the new mayor, with the new city council, we said, okay, we need to find out what is really the state of the building. And so Chooch Pickard, our vice president, uh, came, uh, put together a team of uh, interdisciplinary team, engineers, architects, environmental consultants, et cetera, to go in the building and uh, take a look at it and then come up with a kind of a report. And so uh, they spent like three days, I think maybe around three full days in there walking around and just kind of really seeing, cause you know, it came, you know, the report came from us. So, you know, you can take that for what it's worth, but we are also, we, I think something very important to us. We really want to know the truth about the Coliseum. We do not want, we think there's been a lot of BS thrown at the Coliseum and we don't want to be throwing it back. Mm -hmm. The Coliseum is built to withstand BS, but nevertheless, it's good to, you know, really be, you know, both, both personally, but also when we talk to people. Uh, and so we want to know really what's going on. So we found, you know, that there was, it's in, uh, you know, which I think is, uh, you know, universal as has been proven by other studies since then, even mm -hmm. done by the city, that it's in excellent shape, structural shape. It's got a lot of modernization that needs to be done. And when I say modernization, I pay systems modernization. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons why you had to close the Coliseum in the first place is ADA issues. And so uh, it was we, not ADA compliant, it was not ADA compliant. Uh, however, it was not, you know, go back to the BS. It was not some sort of weirdly the hardest building in the world to make ADA compliant, which kind of was, you know, again, yeah. silly narratives. But anyway, um, so uh, we've we, you know, had to be ADA compliant. The HVAC systems have been off at that point was uh, 11 years mm -hmm. or 10 years, really, because yeah. it closed in early 2007. Uh, no, no. It was just nine years. That's yeah. How time's going. But anyway, yeah. never mind. When you turn off the air conditioning in, uh, in Memphis for or, uh, nine years, you may have to replace it when you come when you come back. Anyway, yeah. HVAC systems have to be modernized and stuff like that. So it's it's uh, not trivial what we came up with in terms of what has to be you know, done in mm -hmm. terms of cost and all that. But it's not this sort of like, oh, my God, this is impossible. Sure. It's not insurmountable. It's not insurmountable, mm -hmm. and especially the ADA stuff. And so, you know, we uh, the, the initial assessment was $25 million to bring it back to what we call version one Levitt shell quality, which means the artists love it, the audience love it. But, you know, it's maybe missing some of the bells and whistles, you know, yeah. VIP-ish stuff. 
that you know it's going to cost you more the money. gold plating the gold plating so to 25 million uh, is what what we came up with and it was great for that was great for a lot of reasons one is you know when i talked about the party thing getting dinged for the party it was able to start putting you know there's joy here and there's substance here and putting those right. two things became very powerful and so it's been a big part of our thing is to you know to combine you know the fun of the coliseum with data analysis and economic analysis is is insofar as we can do it uh to see what is the you know what 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 is the real state of the coliseum in, in a market sense and a uh, structural sense, architectural sense, uh, you know, economic sense, I guess that's market, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, you know, that was so important to us. So that was like the very first thing we did that started pushing. So the whole, and, you know, we're still going to put on the party because we love the party, you know, people love it. But at the same time, uh, people maybe more state actors and, you know, mm-hmm. you at the end of the day, you can't just base it on, a you know, it, it's fun. But you have to give them some some meat, and we were doing that. Yeah, and so uh, that was the beginning with the uh, physical assessment, and it's also been a great thing because it's provided a backbone for uh, our um, VIP tours. That when we bring people through, it's based right. on this, and it's something that we can say, okay, here it is. You will send you a link to it. You can look it up yourself. Yeah, and then it's also it was incredible when the city did their own study when they were getting ready to do the new iteration of the youth sports complex, and they found it to be the similar uh, similar quality structure in yeah. good shape. The city, um, uh, <clears throat> you mentioned it really fast, but just to kind of emphasize it, uh, the city in their own due diligence in pursuing their tourism development zone plan, which ultimately was approved. Uh, it did their it, um, hired the firm of Allen and Hoschel, which corroborated uh, that the building was in excellent shape. So, you know, people might think that the advocates for the building might have a bias that would inform their view. But uh, but having that corroboration, I know, is a real uh, validation. But, you know, I think their estimate came out to be more like 40 million. And people have asked um What's the difference in 25 and 40? And I think it's what you were talking about. It's like the difference between what you do at the front end and what you what you do later on. You also mentioned uh, the Levitt Shell. We're both fans of the Levitt Shell. Um, I know that when uh, they reopened the Levitt Shell, I was among virtually everybody who just fell back in love with going to the Shell. And um, it was fantastic. Well, what they did is they opened it uh, minimally, and then they did another fundraising campaign to come back and gold plate it. Can you talk a little bit about how the, a similar approach uh, might be uh, a phased approach, if you will, might be might be a good idea for the for the Coliseum? Yeah. So one of the reasons why you know ours was kind of like what called the uh, version one Levitt shell is that you know money is always a big thing, and so you don't if we presented some giant um, you know price tag for what it would cost, people would go, wait a second, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, sometimes people give dingus for saying, oh, you didn't do it as you know good as you could, you know. So I think it's better to start with the idea that resources are limited and that we're, we're going to be, you know, like anybody, you know, really digging around for those resources. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, the gold plating is it will come. And that a lot of that is, you know, it, frankly, uh, I'm you know, it's like um, – Concerts having there was a kind of a thing about the you know the the uh, Coliseum is not really ready for modern concerts with the uh, offloading unloading, and so a lot of the gold plating, if you will, is making it more ready for big concerts that you'd see at the FedEx Forum. Having said that, uh, you know our you know one of our pieces that beyond the uh, physical assessment is a pro forma, and something we've emphasized or de-emphasized is the whole idea of concerts. You know, and we're not a, we're not definitely not against concerts, but we also think that first of all, they're sort of like, you know, possibly you know, they were huge, obviously, in the original version one of the Coliseum operating, but they're you know I think sort of maybe a little bit bigger in our memory than they are actually because you know as we all know the Coliseum hosted an inf- you know huge amount of events. And so we're trying to emphasize not just the concerts. In fact, we've, like I said, de-emphasized the concerts 
and it's seeing it more as like a civic space, that uh, a multi-purpose civic space that could be almost anything. And back in the day, graduations, jury duty, you know, the circus. I mean, there's a million, you know, a million. There are infinite number of uses for it, and so. Um, but so the concert thing is true. It's I've, I I don't have any doubt that yeah. you know fixing the loading dock for concerts would be a thing, but it's not something that's essential. And, you know, um, and I think the Levitt shell is a good indication that people will love, um, will love a place that's not completely uh, tricked out yet. Yeah. And I mean, and the Levitt shell is an authentic asset that asset. people were just so authentic. glad to be able to be back in its, its presence and be, go to it. I think the Coliseum, uh, is a similar space. Now you mentioned the pro forma, which <clears throat> reminds me of all the, 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 the event types or in the use types, uh, that we're envisioning. And, you know, it's the opinion of the Coliseum coalition that we think the highest and best use of the Coliseum is as a mixed use, uh, facility, perhaps some, uh, some, uh, some, uh, event types, but also some fixed uses, uh, with a, with a very strong, um, community uh, aspect to it. Uh, I think it has those bones already from the past, uh, but I think especially when you consider it being the emotional heart of the fairgrounds, uh, and certainly this resonates with what the Friends of the Fairgrounds stakeholders told us they wanted it to be. They missed their connection to that building and the land, and they want it back. But could you talk a little bit about um, the importance to um, from your view of like to the neighborhoods, its centrality, uh, and how that resonates back through history. It's not about the past, but it certainly resonates to what right, people remember. Right. Well, um, I think, first of all, it's not completely about the neighborhood, although a lot of the neighborhood high schools experience or schools experience this. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, one of the things we heard, you heard uh, at the Friends of the Fairgrounds as well, is one of the things that people probably maybe more than anything want to see in the future is the return of graduations. Right. The Coliseum was the palace of graduations for the city of Memphis for as long as it was open. It mm-hmm. was, you know, and it was a place where, and that's a cool, very interesting thing because to me, it's where the past meets the future. You know, it's like when people stepping across the stage, they, they cross from those two things. And the Coliseum is that, was that place that more yeah. they remember it and they want it back. And so there's that centrality of that. So it's, you know, you know, a lot of the things that people say they really, you know, really see in the future of the Coliseum is that kind of return of those kind of civic events and mm-hmm. graduations being, you know, our, our, our wonderful children and seeing, you know, whether they're our own wonderful children or the children of Memphis, yeah. just seeing them uh, make that transition to the future is such a great thing for the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think um, – in terms of the neighborhoods, you know, uh, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, frankly, in terms of the, 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 the story of the Coliseum can't be told without Orange Mound. Right. And Orange Mound. So first of all, first Orange Mound had, you know, at least three different connections, relationships with the Coliseum. First, it was, well, maybe four. Now that I think about it. First, it was right next to it. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it was across the railroad tracks, even though there's no really easy way to get from Orange Mound to the fairgrounds, it was, you know, they, they were right across the tracks. Yeah. People and, say we and, used and, to walk. And people came, mm-hmm. and, and Beltline, really, this is sort of about Beltline as well. And so there, that kind yeah. of physical connection. And then there was an employment connection. So the, a lot of folks who worked at the Coliseum, they, you know, they worked in the concessions. They worked in other ways. They worked in security. And so that's a huge thing. And then, of course, as we all know, it's like one of the great stories of Memphis is they brought talent to they brought talent to the Coliseum, and uh, if the best examples are uh, Larry Finch and Ronnie Robinson of the '73, I believe '73 Memphis Tigers. State Tigers, and so transformed Memphis with that thing. So you know, talent connection, physical connection, employment. Now, even beyond the Coliseum, Fairgrounds was a a great center of employment for the youth of, uh, of the city, but, you know, even definitely mm-hmm. Orange Mound, which with Liberty Land, which was unfortunately one of the losses we had with the closing down of Liberty Land is Memphis's biggest job, uh, youth jobs program, which is such a shame. But, yeah. you know, I think our one of our visions is to be very intentional about that youth jobs program with the Coliseum moving forward. Sure. That, and that resonates with uh, our stakeholder process as well, d- the desire for jobs. Yeah. 
So um, another thing you mentioned in passing is um, our VIP tours. Now, our colleagues at the city uh, and, and and those of us in the grassroots, we all know that uh, VIP tours uh, increase the likelihood of third party uh, investment or reinvestment in the in the building. But um, what what has been uh, and, and and you, Chooch, and I have have been the most consistent. Uh, uh, on the scene in terms of giving those tours. It's built on Chooch and his team's assessments. We point out things from the assessment as we tour through. Um, and, and now that we're 80, 90 <laughs> VIP tours down the road, you know, we, we've got our talking points kind of down, um, but it's still exciting to go in every time for me. What has been your kind of overarching experience when, when people come into the building, what, 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 what's their experience that you've um, observed? Yeah, so I'm a partly maybe because I'm an outlier in terms of the nostalgia. You know, most of the people on a group, you know, it's it's cool to have memories, and I'm not trying to knock nostalgia, but I'm a lot less of that. So I'm always mm-hmm. looking for people who've never been in the building. You know, they, you know, almost everybody who's been through the building loves Memphis. That's almost like a constant. You know, they whether they came five minutes ago or they came, they've been here since they were born. They love Memphis. And so, but it's cool to bring folks in who've never been in the building so they can't say, oh, I remember seeing this. And, and so, but they under, they start to see that, wow, this building, this wonderfully robust building co- contains so much of what they love about Memphis. And that is really cool. Yeah. And then of course, you know, I mean, I, I love anybody who goes in the Coliseum, but, uh, you know, the folks who have those experiences and I think it's, you know, kind of them also, st- you know, expressing their experiences in the Coliseum, you know, amongst themselves, but also to the folks who've never been in. And people start seeing, you know, the story of the Coliseum. And it's a story that's not over. And people start to, I think, imagine, especially uh, in, in space, you know, what, what, it, what that story is going to be. So that's kind of the, the cool thing about it is just to see. And then the growing enthusiasm we've, we've had multiple people who went from, I want to say naysayers. There's nobody who's been, I think it's just like downright no way to people like, well, you know, skeptical in a, in a decent way, skeptical meaning you want to see proof and sure. came out and saying, wow, I'm a lot more, I, I, I'm not necessarily a believer, but I think this can happen. Yeah. You know? And so that's really wonderful. And then the, 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 you know, you can know that um, that there are two separate assessments that uh, that show that the building is in good shape. But I think people know that academic fact, but when they step in the building and, and they realize there's not even any peeling paint in the building, I, I think they're just like, it exceeds their expectations. Um, so, so we've done, we've, we've done two and a half years, 80, 90 VIP tours. But last year, we also uh, in we took our collaboration with the city one step further and did two volunteer cleanups, and uh, which with Clean Memphis, Clean Memphis, City of Our Memphis, and, and Coliseum Coalition. We all partnered, and uh, it took us a while to get it set it up set up because they, we had to sign a memorandum of understanding, uh, and that made clear that the that the reason to do the building was for pre-vitalizing events inside the building, which is something that we've. Hoped for, as you said, since moment one, but now we seem to be on the cusp of actually doing it. Um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, – you talked about the joy of Roundhouse Revival, but there was also a joy in the faces of those people who showed up to work their butts off to clean the Coliseum. Can you talk a little bit about your recollection of what it was like to kind of uh, work arm in arm, side by side, getting grimy with all those folks? Right. So uh, it was like the first time – that the public has come in without invitation. Now, of course, we put out a, a call for people to to uh, uh, be part of it, but it was not like by invite. It was like a public call. We could only have 50 people, so there was a limit on that, and they were wavered, uh, like people on the VIP tours. But it was like the first time, you know, uh, everybody's important, but, you know, sometimes people would say those aren't VIPs, and this was the first time that everybody could get in if they got in within those limits. And so people were just excited. And, you know, the building is, um, is uh, as you know, it's like the cleanup was not picking up broken cornices or, you know, crumbling walls or anything like that. It was mostly cleaning up rubble from the offices that had been somewhat, you know, I'll be honest, they'd been uh, some vandals had gotten mm. in and spread out. Because when they closed the Coliseum, 
they kind of just closed the door. They didn't say, okay, we're going to take all this stuff out. There sure. may have been some of that, but probably not very much of it. I think people thought they'd be back. Yeah, you know, or yeah, they could do, shut well, the lights well, out. There's no, oops, sorry, my phone is going crazy. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it was, you know, it was like uh, more messy. I always like to say it was messy. It was more scattered junk than it was yeah. like, oh, my God. The building is um, – so, for instance, going back to the quality of the building is that there's uh, – it's got a dome. As we all know, that's over the arena. But it's got these concourses, and above the concourses, it has flat roof. And then there's a utility area in the back that's got a flat roof. Well, uh, with a few exceptions uh, on the concourses, the the roof has been without leaks. Uh, now, the utility areas had some – I want to say bad leaks – but they've got leaks, and so there's been some problems with that. But we, frankly, we did not have to do any sort of water cleanup or anything like that. It was mostly cleaning up the junk, taking it to a uh, dumpster, and yeah. that was strewn about the concourses and uh, sweeping it and all that other stuff. And then a little bit of um, cleaning up in the arena or straightening mm-hmm. it up. This arena is actually, believe it or not, has been used as a storage space for since its closing. So mm-hmm. the idea that the Coliseum isn't being used is not true. It's being used. It's just being used as a storage space for uh, the fairgrounds because, hey, you know, it's a great place. It's If you can yeah. live without air conditioning, it's a waterproof place. You put it yeah. in the arena floor, it's a uh, it's you know almost certain to be uh, outside of humidity. Yeah, no water damage. They had the col- they had the uh, carousel in there for had years. The carousel, right? Uh, and I know the second cleanup that we did we did was really a mo- we focused more on on uh, organizing items on the on the arena floor, uh, palletizing them, getting them moved to uh, ad- adjacent rooms, etc. Um, so people got it were able to get into the building. And I remember we got more done in probably the first hour of that first cleanup than I thought we'd get done all day. And I was just really blown away by what a group of motivated, fired up volunteers could do with a little coffee and donuts inside. Right. Uh, it was really impressive. And I remember feeling uh, just a lot of pride to be alongside those people. Uh, and, and I think they felt it too. One of the indirect but important outcroppings of this is something we didn't intend on the front end is that our uh, our friends over at the library um when they heard that this was going on they thought well maybe we should go in there and and and, and see if there's anything worth saving uh and there was a there was a uh a daily memphian article uh recently uh by bill Drees that right. really it's a, it's a lengthy story uh that uh did a great job at telling about what all the cool stuff they did find in the Coliseum. So when we talk about, you know, the, the building's utility and future use is kind of the main course, but, uh, but it's history and the cool stuff that's, that's still in there is of course, wonderful icing on the cake. They found a bunch of old letters where people had written to get their Elvis show refunds because he'd passed away and they were expressing their grief. They found all, just all making manner of memorabilia, uh, in there, and now the Coliseum, excuse me, the uh, the library is uh, is is developing a collection of sorts, right? And they're just beginning beginning on that, right? That's a you know wonderful you know expression, you know again the the joy that people had, and to see that you know I think they yeah. found a uh, um, a signature from Andy Kaufman where he picked up his check for wrestling, yeah, and uh, you know. Um, so it, it's just among other things, it's just a prince, I guess, is a, a lot of stuff. So it was, you know, um, you know, again, version one, it's just there. And that's kind of what we're rearing for, for the future. And so, yeah. Um, and that was a, um, really sort of just kind of like, uh, uh, you know, a gift from the pre, uh, from the cleanups. Mm-hmm. We, you know, the in fact, I thought maybe they'd come in this, there had been sort of like when Chooch's team had been in, in 2016, I thought the, the library had been in and I thought that was from that. No, this was from the cleanup. And so we were so glad that, you know, first of all, they came in, but we also had people, uh, who were, um, who, kind of respected what they were doing. It wasn't just, okay, we can need to box up some stuff. Oh, and, they treated it with respect yeah. and they came in and, and now it's, it, it, they've really featured it in a way that I think is not only respectful, but really just fun. Yeah. So it was uh, wonderful. And it came out at the end of last year, which is the bicentennial year. So it was a great gift to the city of Memphis from yeah. the library and this Coliseum. Yeah. So 
if you know our, our colleagues at the city, and I, and I can't stress this enough, you know, um, uh, you know, looking back to the earliest days, you know, people might look back and say, "Oh gosh, it was a pitch battle there in the beginning." You know, you were pitted against Robert Lipscomb, etc. Now, I never really saw it that way, honestly, and and we and we made a calculated decision uh, early on to to never go negative and to remain respectful throughout, and I think that served us well. But you flash forward to the current day, and if you look. Our relationship with the city has just gotten more and more collegial. You talk about uh, our uh, Doug McGowan and that and that housing and community development team of of, of Paul Young and Mary Claire Boris and and uh, and Lindsay Jackson. We've really gotten in a great rhythm working with them. And you know, if if the main feature to track or if the first initial kind of common denominator of of, of intent was. Hey, you know, VIP tours will will um, will increase the likelihood of third party investment. Well, you know, and, and so will a cleanup that that shows that we're serious about cleaning the building up and finding a future use for it. Uh, and now that it's been codified into the TDZ application and, they, and the city's made clear that the Coliseum will, quote unquote, be preserved and not demolished. I feel like the next step that also plays on that uh, intention, that shared intention is Previtalizing events inside the building. Yes, the 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 uh, the, uh, the the memorandum of understanding made clear that, that we were that we agreed that was what we were we were shooting for. But now we're really on the precipice of this, and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about where we, wh- what is stopping uh, uh, us, or what what stands between us and 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 hosting uh, events inside the Mitzal Coliseum. So um, the biggest thing is it's a very uh, normal thing, uh, but it is it's still a thing. Is a uh, the air quality in the building is not as uh, well. Let's play like this: it would not be called clear, which means or clear. I, I'm probably messing this up, but essentially, where you want the air inside to be better than the air outside, and right. that's impossible. When it's almost impossible in a humid, wet place where it's raining today even though it's not humid it's it's uh, cold but it's not hot and humid. sure but any building uh, that had been closed right. that long would yeah close i mean yeah. s- seriously for six months in memphis during the summer you'd probably have a lot of this stuff and so there's that the building is massive and so how can you clean this up especially or you know what is the expense of cleaning it up versus you know when you still aren't going to be able to condition it till it's um, renovated, so that's kind of the the mm-hmm. big thing is we want to get we want to get a certain uh, understanding of what is acceptable, whether and you know in terms of air quality, and then also uh, how can we you know protect the city and protect ourselves from people coming in the building. Mm-hmm. We've you know as you said eighty ninety. VIP tours, we've always, it's always been good. There's never been any problem. And, uh, but at the same time, we just want to be, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's in terms of that one thing. And that is really about it. It's, and, and, um, uh, I, someone was telling me that a lot of the, you know, what the pre-vitalizations that have happened around the city, a lot of those sure. probably almost certainly happened in buildings that were in worse quality than, uh, than the Mid-South Coliseum. Sure. So this is not, an unusual case. This is not, you know, it's yeah. just the city wanting to make sure that everyone is safe, and and uh, and that's a that's a very good thing. That is a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's important to, to to take a step back and realize the kind of litany of civic wins that Memphis has rattled off, where previtalizing has been a, a has been a, a catalytic event. Uh, we're, you know, we're sitting in Crosstown Concourse. Certainly, that's one of those. Uh, the, they took their time to do events inside the building reawaken the public's imagination about the building. And that's how they, they got people to say, by golly, this should be something. Uh, um, Broad Avenue with a new face for an old broad Claiborne temple. Uh, There are other examples, but um, there really is something about being in the space. And I'm grateful that we've had this partnership with the city and been able to tour, you know, eight, 900 folks through the building on these VIP tours. But I, but we want to we want the general public to have the same uh, ex- experience, don't we? Absolutely. So yeah, and so uh, something Chooch says, and I think it's a great thing to say, is that it's one thing uh, for a, a person who may want to invest in the building to come in and see it, like they do on the VIP tours. Although we get a little bit of that with the other folks who are walking yeah. with you. Yeah. But it's another thing to go in with folks who go, "Wow, look at this." And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's that wow is what, you know, having someone stand next to someone going, wow. And I've actually heard that 
someone actually say, wow, through the walking in the arena and they'd never been in the building in their life. Oh, sure. And so it's not just about, oh, yeah, man, I had my seats up there for – uh, Leonard Skinner, you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's new folk as well. Oh, and that, that group of 20 somethings that, that helped us at the first cleanup that they were just like absolutely bowled over. And they, they right. were the first ones to show up at our Cooper Young, uh, uh, table to buy our t-shirts. I right. mean, you know, uh, that's really, uh, a heartening, you know, people say, uh, one of those things that we just mentioned, great example of revitalizing Tennessee brewery, you know, uh, Billy Ortle, uh, didn't re renovate the the Tennessee brewery because somebody keyed him into the building and he saw it and thought it was cool. I'm sure that had a part of in it, but I think him seeing people love Tennessee brewery untapped made him Absolutely. say, aha, Oh, people love it. Uh, and I feel like the Coliseum can, it can be the same way. Um, in terms of like a lot of people have, you know, Memphis being a basketball city, uh, a lot of people, and this wasn't my idea, said, wouldn't it be cool if the Memphis Hustle played at the Coliseum? And I remember the first time I heard that idea, I thought, that's an awesome idea. And then I've, I've shared that idea with several people, and they always had the same, man, yes, how do we make that happen? And when we start to think about event types, certainly basketball as an event type, if you think of file folders within the larger portfolio, certainly basketball could be a great uh, use. Uh, the Memphis Hustle playing alongside AAU basketball games and Division One and, and uh, excuse me, Division Two and NAIA college basketball games, high school game of the week, perhaps the Lady Tigers. Um, so basketball could be a strong uh, presence. Uh, certainly there's a fan base for it. Um, and, of course, that would resonate to back to its history. Same thing with wrestling. Or wrestling Memphis is still a very strong wrestling market uh, in the country. And smaller scale uh, wrestling could, continue, could return to the Mid-South Coliseum and be an economic driver. Um, we've also had people reach out to us and talk about ice hockey. And, 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 and other ice events. So it seems like the longer we're on the scene, the more it gets out in the ether that something's happening at the Coliseum. And then people find us via Google search and they reach out with their ideas. And I feel like even in the last six months to a year, that's Absolutely. really hit into overdrive. Yeah, I think the cleanups, the kind of press we got from the cleanups really helped with that and kind of starting to see that. Yeah. And also, you know, just kind of the shift of people's attitudes about partly about Memphis and its possibilities and also maybe about, you know, mid-century modern architecture. The you know, A lot of that stuff you mentioned, the Coliseum is a championship quality venue. I don't mean that in the sense of it's because you know, obviously it's not been renovated yet, but in the sense of it's a it's a beautiful building. It's it's rugged and its story is as good as any building in this uh, venue in this country. Yeah. You know, and I will. Absolutely. I will die on that hill. I think it absolutely the story is as good as any place you could find in this in this yeah. country. And uh, so, you know, it's a place that, you know, if you're playing basketball, yeah, I think you should play. If you can play at the FedEx Forum, that's that's NBA. That's the pros play at the FedEx Forum. But if you can't and obviously most people play basketball at the same time, the Grizzlies and the U of M are playing the Coliseum is a wonderful place to do it. It's a place worthy of, of, our, of, our, of our, our children's best talent. Yeah. Um, take a step. Let's take a step back and, and think about, uh, I guess I'm going to cast you a, kind of a, a think deep question here. And, I, and it really, the, the impetus for me starting Champions of the Lost Causes when I t was when, I, when we passed the four-year mark. And I took a step back and I thought, wow, I've been at this for four years. Uh, and you, you, you do have to ask yourself the question, I must really love this. Uh, and, and I wonder, what do you think uh, drives a group like us? Uh, what has sustained us? Uh, because, you know, there aren't the traditional benefits. I mean, we're not we're not working regular jobs. There's no salary for this. Oh, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the mix of motivations that, 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 that you personally get out of this? And what do you think holds, holds our unit together? Um, you know, I, you know, I think, I think, you no, know, the progress we have made, which is slow, yeah. it's not, it's not 
da-da, we're done. Progress. Yeah, we got work ahead. We got work ahead. So, but there has been slow and steady progress. But I think, uh, for, you know, personally for me, it's been kind of as we tell the story and we hear the stories back and we also hear the the vision of that and how that might, you know, benefit our – and it's kind of – so the Coliseum – what I wanted to save or, and, or reopen in 2015 isn't the Coliseum I want to reopen in 2020. So my, vi- you know, my, my personal yeah. vision of how this is going to, you know, be part of Memphis has changed. And I think that's, and it's gotten, in my opinion, very, much more exciting. Cause so for instance, we went from, you know, potentially, Oh, we could put a target in the Coliseum and we'd save it, you know, and that would have been, you know, a victory in terms of saving it. But now that would feel underwhelming. We're not yeah. going to say that we're, um, that would be a non-starter for us, but you know now it's like this: uh, the, the civic vision, which is part of it's in its DNA, is become and uh, that's so much. And I think that's very you know and, and you know as, as you go forward and partly from hearing the stories of the past, but also you know imagining that future, you start kind of wow, you can see it, and yeah. it's, so it's you know you have to make you got to make whether it's baby steps or, you know, just a little ticks of the needle, you got to move forward. And sometimes you go backwards, but never, you know, but you go forward. And then the other thing is just kind of keep, you know, transform, you know, a a vision that's ahead of you, but hopefully it's a creative vision that is changing with time and its circumstances rather than, Oh, I'm, this is what it's got to be. And if it's not that then, and actually, you know, we've kind of gone from being more like pragmatic, if you will. And it's not, I still say we're very pragmatic. It's just that we've come to the point where the thing that makes sense for the Coliseum is what it was. The the economic sense, you know, is what it was. It's, you know, it's a business model that's ancient. That's why it's got its name. It's a, a, a people coming together in civic space is is a is a something that's going to, you know, will last through the end of civilization. Yeah, you know, and so the Colosseum, and then of course a roof over your head while you're coming together is you know is a is a um, rare uh, rare thing at, at, at that scale in Memphis. Right, we've got uh, the forum. And and then after that, we don't have any. We got Lander Center, but that's not in Memphis. Then we have the Coliseum, and that's it. So right. at that scale, we don't we don't have anything except for those three. And believe it or not, we do not have it anywhere. the The thing is, like, oh, we've got this kind of glut of indoor civic space. It's not we true. actually, yeah, we actually looked it up. It's like, no, wait a second. Compared to, I think it was like Nashville, San Antonio, Charlotte, uh, Louisville, uh, Knoxville, Little Rock. Memphis was second to last in terms of number of indoor seats. Per capita. Yeah, and based on GuideStar stuff. So, again, data. Data is very important. So, there's not, you know, there's, you know, it's an ancient, if you will, business model. And it's also one that we are not overserved in by any means. In fact, I would say at least – Relative to other cities, underserved. Speaking of data, you um, <clears throat> you're the one that that went out there and and sought the data out and prepared the uh, the analysis, but um, of of how much indoor seating capacity has fallen relative to our uh, population growth in the Memphis uh, MSA. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so that's kind of the same thing. So there's two pieces. One is how do we compare to other cities, and then how do we you know how how do we compare over time with Memphis you know, or the MSA. And so, again, there's this thing that idea that we, you know, with the opening of the forum and, you know, that we're somehow underserved. Well, actually, we looked it up and we are close to, I think, 30,000 seats fewer than at this moment in time, this moment in time, than we had in 2007 when the Coliseum closed. Now, that includes the Coliseum being closed now and includes the Coliseum being open then. Mm-hmm. But essentially, so we uh, – 30,000 fewer seats because we lost the pyramid because the pyramid was open, believe it or not, the day yeah. the Coliseum closed. And we lost the Coliseum. So that – between those two, that's almost 30,000 right there. We've had right. other things that have happened. The Grand uh, Casino closed, and so they had a major ballroom in the MSA. And that is the MSA. That is not – yeah. Uh, Memphis. That is the MSA, which is the metropolitan area, if you don't know what that term is, but metropolitan area. So it includes Mississippi. Includes Lander Center and all that. Includes Arkansas. So it's a, mis- it's a misunderstanding for people to say, like, we have a mid-sized venue. It's the Lander Center. Uh, I, 
I, I push back on that a bit, and 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 more and more, the more and more I, I talk to people, the more they say, Memphians don't go down to the Lander Center. I mean, I'm sure that's I'm sure that that sometimes happens, but uh, but by and large, we don't go to the Lander Center. Um, we people, there's a desire, especially our stakeholders said we want affordable entertainment at home. Uh, uh, they remembered a time where they could could walk to the Coliseum, et cetera. I, I think. It, no one's suggesting that we build that we rebuild the fairgrounds brick by brick and restore Liberty Land, but I do feel that 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 the same de- there's a desire for a lot of those things to be provided. Um, but um, so we've got revitalizing is is in the is an I, I think in the near term in the in the offing, um, but there are. It's not just going to be Roundhouse Revival, uh, although we do hope to have Roundhouse Revival 4 inside the Coliseum. We're planning on having it inside the Coliseum. But there are some other ideas that have come to the fore, even ideas that that are things that didn't even exist in in, in uh, when the Coliseum was open. Can you speak a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, a few months ago, uh, on one of our tours, we had some uh, a gentleman from the FPV 901, a drone uh, group drone racing group yeah. and they uh, I'd known one of them from a local maker space and they came and brought their drones and uh, they did a drone fly through the Coliseum which is uh, just astounding first of all astounding yeah. technical work but it's just so cool to see the Coliseum uh, reflected in this way that never mm-hmm. had been seen before. Yeah. And the other thing is that, the, you know, the Coliseum, you know, we're talking to them about potentially having drone racing, if not during Roundhouse Revival, on their own standalone event. So the Coliseum mm-hmm. would be a perfect place for indoor drone racing. So there's, yeah. there's a, you know, uh, obviously not something someone could have imagined in 64, but definitely not even 2007 when the Coliseum uh, went offline uh, could we have imagined that sort of stuff. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's you know, again, it's whatever they, whatever you can imagine we can put in the Coliseum. Right. So if people want more information, uh, they should, uh, wh- wh- where all should they go to kind of check out, where does all this, this, um, this research that we've stacked up, where yeah. can they go look at this? So ColosseumCoalition.org is our official website, and that's kind of like our, our where we store all our data. But the, the, if you want a quick way to get there without ColosseumCoalition.org forward slash exec, just think of executive summary. And that's sort of yeah. like the gateway to all of our data. It's what we, when we do a tour, we always say, okay, go, we, we send them a link to that ColosseumCoalition.org forward slash exec. And that right. will t- take you everywhere that we have gone, that we have been able to think of. Sure. And so that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, so we've got in that, among other things, we've got almost every document that is kind of uh, important to the, uh, to the uh, you know, the story of the Coliseum in terms of the future, but also documents we've created, which is the physical assessment, pro forma business plan, uh, the analysis of uh, indoor seating drop in the metropolitan area, indoor seating versus other metropolitan areas. Uh, I'm trying to think. What An else? analysis of the Grizzlies non-compete, which uh, is oh, which right. is a, a whole separate show that we could do. Right, we right, barely right, even right, touched right. on that. Yeah, no, it's it's that's a big deal, and so we have analysis of that. And I'll, I'll just give you the quick summary: is yeah. that uh, yeah. uh, the the Grizzlies agreement does or the the FedEx Forum agreement does not prevent the Coliseum from being reopened with public money. It will be subject to a cooperative agreement with the Grizzlies when it does reopen, and we we uh, we look forward to that. That's I mean that's that's all right. Let's do it. Right. That was a that was a, a really quick summary, but I know people have have questions about, and, and that's the, the great thing. There are three different documents. There's a flow chart. There's a colored c- coded <laughs> list of event types uh, that show exactly how that could happen. And, and a lot of people don't don't uh, remember this or don't this doesn't occur to them. There were two years that where the Coliseum existed in 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 harmony with FedEx Forum uh, and events happened there. So one of the reasons that the Coliseum is mentioned by name in the agreement is because it was an agreement between two open facilities. So it's not a matter of it can't reopen. It's just a matter of it needs to cooperate. Right. So it did that and it did it well in the last year. With probably zero marketing budget, with the mm-hmm. idea that this would be closing, they still were able, with the non-competition covenant with the Grizzlies or with the FedEx Forum, still were able to pull on 70, 70 events in the last year of right. the Coliseum. Wow. So um, I think that's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. 
Well, and of course, we're on uh, all the different social media channels. If you want to kind of keep up with the kind of current events uh, uh, around uh, reopening the Mid-South Coliseum. Roy Barnes, thank you so much for being my guest. Have a th- is there something I maybe didn't think to ask? Do you want to sound no, off? No, uh, yeah. you know, I, I will just say real quick that uh, there was a, the, we're in the Carrostown Concourse, and actually my nickname, Roundhouse Roy, came from there was apparently a gentleman who used to do tours or kind of uh, uh, watchman of the Collis, uh, the cross town before it's yeah, called the cross town yeah, concourse, yeah. and he had a name, and I cannot remember what the name is. And we were in a meeting once, and I said, "I boy, I want a, I want a name like that, you know." And and, and Mark Jones yelled out, "Roundhouse Roy." I and, never knew that. Uh, yeah. I'm drawing a blank on that gentleman's name as well. Uh, he gave me my first tour, walking tour of the Crosstown Concourse building, but when when it hadn't been touched, when yeah. it was still yeah. deli- when it was a wreck. So but, yeah. Uh, Whatever that gentleman's nickname yeah. was, he his his building was a, a much bigger uh, much bigger ob- uh, task, yeah. and it's obviously come out brilliantly. And yeah. so there's there's nothing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, lost about that, and and lost about this. So we're we'll we'll uh, you know it's going to happen. Quite the undertaking, yeah. No, if Crosstown, a lot of people say they point to Crosstown Concourse and say if our city can pull that off. Uh, we could reopen the Mid South Coliseum. I don't think it's I don't think it's nearly as heavy a lift as Crosstown Concourse. I have had Todd Richardson on this show to talk about his cause that he championed, which was the which was this building. But Roy Barnes, thank you so much for being on the show today. Okay, thank you, Morgan. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Champions of the Lost Causes podcast is a production of the OAM Network. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and at theoamnetwork.com. I'm your host, Marvin Stockwell. Produced by Gil Worth. Logo and design by the OAM Network. Content and social media coaching by Emily Austin. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm on Twitter at at Marvin Stockwell. Keep up with the latest at championsofthelostcauses.org. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.